Welcome to the Avenue Mama podcast, where we explore the avenues of motherhood, mindset, and mompreneurship. I know you're a busy mama, so during each show, I've built in time for you to apply the tip or lesson to your life while you listen. I'm your host, Annie Vovant, mother of two, and this podcast was created because mom guilt is real, and so are our dreams. So let's get rid of mom guilt once and for all. Girl, let's get started. Hey mama, welcome back to the Avenue Mama podcast. First and foremost, thank you for your patience. I want to send a big thank you for Michelle Lee for coming on to the podcast back on January 26th of 2022. I am so sorry that it's just taken this much to get back up and running. After that interview, I was on such a high. I was so excited to just blast this interview. Michelle Lee introduced a wonderful hashtag into the world, hashtag very Asian, which we will talk about the the origination story of it. And I took a couple days to edit it. And then soon enough, we had a very devastating death in the AAPI community, the death of Christina Yuna Lee. And that took me on the other side of emotions. I was going from feeling very high and proud of being Asian American and sharing Asian American awareness and pride to then feeling, once again, marginalized, once again, feeling like, feeling scared and feeling personal safety, feeling like there is so much towards Asian American women as far as the most targeted part of the Asian American hate crimes. And so I apologize first and foremost to Michelle for not getting this podcast to share her words to the world. I originally started Avenue Mama because I wanted a place for mothers to come together and gather and for mothers to not feel like they had to give everything away to their kids and they can actually have their own personal goals and their personal dreams. And this podcast for me has just been a diary of the things that I've gone through and the people I wanted to connect with so that we could share in their genius, their point of view, their teachings. And this episode with Michelle Lee was really powerful for everything that's been happening in the AAPI community. I really feel that it's going to be a long lasting movement and we need the storytelling we need people to come together and we need the awareness in a positive way and being that it's march 4th 2022 obviously we are in a another devastating time we have russia invading ukraine and so it's just been taken a minute so if you are struggling right now same and i'm i'm hoping that this podcast can always be a place of thought and inspiration and though it is a trying time in the world Avenue Mama is a place for mothers to land and so this episode is so important I'm always here via direct message on Instagram at Avenue Mama and truly if you're struggling I, I feel you and so I wanted to make sure that you knew that you're not alone and so without further ado here is the podcast that I had recorded back in January Hey mama, welcome back to the Avenue Mama podcast. Today I'm so excited to share the interview with Michelle Lee. I just want to let you know that when I originally saw the footage of what I'm about to share, I was angry. So what happened was on New Year's Day, Michelle, as a news anchor, shared a 25 second segment about what people eat on New Year's and take a listen. Grains actually symbolize wealth. We can guess why. Black-eyed peas represent coins, luck, or the promise of prosperity. Cornbread is for gold, and eating it brings the hope of extra spending money in the new year. And then pork signifies prosperity and progress because, get this, pigs root ahead as they eat as opposed to backwards like chickens or those turkeys. I ate dumpling soup. That's what a lot of Korean people do. All right, it is New Year's, which means... 
why I'm bringing her on is for a bigger reason, a bigger mission for me as an Asian American woman in business, immigrant, a mother to 100% fully vac <laughs> vaccinated, yes they are too, Vietnamese children. It's a conversation I think it's important because oftentimes we hear things and we see things, but do we ever take action? And so what happened after Michelle aired that segment? Michelle received a voicemail from someone who was very unhappy with what she had just said. Take a listen. Hi, um, this evening your Asian uh, anchor uh, mentioned something about being Asian and Asian people eat dumplings on New Year's Day and uh, kind of take offense to that because what if one of your white anchors said, well, uh, white people eat this on uh, New Year's Day. Um, I don't think it was appropriate that she said that. And she was being very Asian, and I don't know. Uh, she can keep her Korean um, to herself. All right, sorry. It was annoying. Because if a white person would say that, it, they would get fired. <laughs> so say something about what white people eat. So, all right, thank you. Michelle Lee is a Korean adoptee, and she actually wrote in response to this, we should all be allowed to bring our full humanity to the table, and this is what happens when you're perceived as perpetually foreign. So Michelle also shared this on Instagram and TikTok and Twitter, and in response to that, her fellow news anchor, Kara Eleven Sunrise anchor, Jia Vang, who is Hmong, retreated her video and said, Hmong people consume a lot of Hmong sausage, chicken, pork, with pepper this time of year. And I must be hashtag very Asian too right now. And in just a few days, that very Asian hashtag exploded on Twitter and generated national attention. So when I saw the video and when I saw the hashtag very Asian, I started making my own hashtag very Asian content. And then I came across a, a tweet from Dr. Sherry C. Wang. And this is what she said. She said the hashtag very Asian hashtag is also powerful because we've turned a racist insult into our collective Asian pride. We're redirecting hashtag stop Asian hate and hashtag stop AAPI hate to celebrate our Asianness. And what a great way to start 2022. You give us anger and we cultivate community, love, and pride. I started to follow both of these ladies, Gia and Michelle, and at one point I decided to shoot my shot and see if she wanted to come on the podcast. I'm so honored Michelle can join our show today. Michelle Lee is a multi-skilled journalist and anchor at Five on Your Side in St. Louis, Missouri. She's a Korean adoptee and she's passionate about using her spare time to volunteer and advocate for adoptees and their families. In 2010, Congress awarded her with an Angels in Adoption Award for her work with adoptees and children in foster care. She has over 20 years of broadcast experience and her work has earned her several national murrows, regional Emmys, and even a Peabody Award. If you've been listening to this show, then you know this podcast is centered around motherhood and mindset and business. And today's episode has a crossover to all of it. We talk about business, what it means to be an Asian American woman in the workplace. We talk about motherhood and what it means to be raising a child that is going to have different challenges. And I think my favorite part was getting to know more about her and her vision and for what's ahead for her. So here is the interview and thanks for being here. 
Michelle, thank you so much for taking the time on being here. My name is Annie Vovian, and thank you so much for your, your time and bandwidth to come here. Uh, Jane is here. Megan is here. I, I know you posted about Megan and her stripes and olive gowns to the Korean. Uh, yes. Yes. You before. Well, yes. And I mean, I've been following Jane for a while, too. So, I mean, that's yes. another. So I feel like we're all connected. We are, and and it is um, a beautiful reason to be connected. And this new movement, as we are calling it, has inspired a lot of conversation around what it means to be Asian American, what it means to be Asian in media, what it means to be representing our culture and heritage without it being offensive. So if we could go back to how this all started, before we get there, I'd love to know more about you and your journey since the beginning of January and where we are today, 30 days out for the incident that happened to you while you were coming off being on air. Oh my gosh. Okay. So like where it start, where it all started or can I be really honest? I'm nervous as nails and I can't, okay. <laughs> and Jane has been, she's a news anchor. You guys are broadcasting. My husband's in the news. I'm like, oh all right, God. I'm a mama. I'm here. I feel really passionate <laughs> about having the chance to really dismantle racism, what it means to be an Asian American mama, what it means to, mm-hmm. um, you know, just be out there, putting yourselves out there. So I feel really vulnerable. Mm-hmm. So let's get that, oh. the nerves out. Oh, shake it off. Shake it off. But (laughs) I just think that what this has created has been such a beautiful conversation and a beautiful movement and awareness. So let's start. Let's go back to you, Michelle, as far as your life before January 1 and your life today. Oh, my gosh. Well, you know, uh, the last 30 days has been crazy. Like, I'm sure as many people as because I follow Jane, like I know, like, you know, you post something and then you get like just this plethora of responses and you're like, holy cow, like people are seeing this content. I think 30 days ago, I was literally just living my life, you know, as a, as a working mom, as a struggling working mom, Mm -hmm. as a starving journalist. I mean, I shouldn't say starving journalist, right? But I mean, you know, none of us are rich. So you're just like doing your work and you're doing all these things and you're just making it like day by day, week by week. And then this happened and it has given me the opportunity in many ways to dream for myself and to dream for my family and to dream for like future that I want my child to have. It's really strange because I would never have put myself in a position to think that I could dream bigger. So that's been really like really cool and and frightening and all these things. And at the same time, I'm also tired, (laughs) you know, I'm also like, do I have the time? You know, you also start feeling a little insecure. Like, do I have the time and the bandwidth to really do this? Oh crap, we already said we're doing it. So we're going for it. When you say do this, what what are you meaning by that? Do well, this. like the well, we launched a foundation. Like we actually launched a foundation. So out of all this, when Ellen gave me money, I say money because it hasn't come in yet. <laughs> Fifteen thousand dollars. Congratulations, first of all. Thank you, thank you. And that's a whole other thing too, because you know I could have like taken it as income and then donated it, but but then it was like everyone in my circle was like, I really think you should do something meaningful for this so that you could raise more money so that you could do more things. So as a family, we were like, okay, let's do a foundation. We had so many people in the St. Louis community who were like, and actually outside of the St. Louis community who were like, you can do this. We're going to help you. Here are your documents. Here's an attorney. And so we, we launched and now you have to like do other paperwork too. Like, even though we're incorporated as a foundation, as a 501c3, and we have our IRS, EIN number, all those things. 
you still have to like apply and wait for tax exemption status. But it's like, I'm learning all these things that I just didn't know I was gonna need to know in my life, like how to set up a fiduciary board and an advisory board. And you know, like maybe we need to get merchandise, and, you know, just like all this kind of crazy stuff um, that I never had anticipated. So yes, the Variation Foundation is newly formed and our mission right now is to amplify diverse AAPI NH voices and uh, do that through education, storytelling, and community partnerships. But eventually, like I'd love to do other things, like for example, like raise money for creators and makers and like transracial adoptees and people who maybe don't have like an organization necessarily that they can just get direct funds for to do to do their work. You're all creatives. So you know that you're doing all this stuff on your own, you know, and what if we could help so that, you know, help support you so that you can share what's going on in your life, you know, and, and do it, live authentic. So you are mm-hmm. saying that you're living into the dream of it now. So for those who are listening back, um, if we can take it back on but how this even started, how it turned it from a, a unbelievable, I don't want to so say the word uneducated, but I'll just say racist insult over a voicemail to a movement, um, what has not made you tired about talking about this? Oh, I think because it happens so often. And the one thing, not like any one of, every one of you, I'm sure has experienced something like that. For me, it was like, it, nothing, it was nothing new, right? Like you could have, you could have been, in, you could have been me, you could have heard that, you know, for yourself. Just having that compounded, you know, year over year over year is disheartening. And also, I think something else, and I don't know if it's because I'm a woman, I don't know if it's because I am an, you know, Asian American woman. There have been lots of times when I have said things to people, like, I'm pretty sure she was being racist. This is what happened. I'm pretty sure this guy was talking down to me on this, whatever it is, you know? Um, And I've had people dismiss me before, you know, we're like, Mm -hmm. If I would have just said, some lady called and she said I was being very Asian, I need to keep my Korean to myself. I know that like people would have said, well, are you sure you heard her right? Maybe uh-huh. she didn't mean that. You oh, know, maybe wow. I'm just saying, I mean, I don't, yeah. I don't know, but yeah. I've had that experience before where people don't necessarily mean to dismiss what I'm saying, but try to like soften it somehow. And, and maybe like wouldn't believe me if I had said it, you know, but when you hear something like that with your own ears you're like holy crap people like that live among us you know people who walk down the street they might be my neighbor they actually believe that kind of stuff so feel like you know that's why i'm not tired of talking about that because there are people like that all around us right and um and and then there are also people you know even when i talk to her when i talk to the woman you know she doesn't think she's racist so (laughs) you know and, and maybe she's not, you know, maybe she just had a racist moment. Like, I really do believe that people are just people and they do actions that are racist or whatever. You know, there are a lot of people who don't believe that maybe they're harming other people or they're hurting other people. And so when you hear something just kind of like a voicemail like that, where she was so confident and so blatant about what was wrong with me and with what I said, then you kind of go, wow, I just, I wouldn't have ever believed that if I hadn't have heard it myself. So that's why I'm not tired of talking about it. I feel like when I was doing some research, because I you were in the Seattle area before you moved to St. Louis, and when I put in Asian population in Seattle, um, one of the pieces of data I got was 15%. And then when I put, yeah. then I switched Seattle for St. Louis, and the first thing that came up, it, instead of saying population, 
population, it says, are there Asian people in St. <laughs> Louis to, to where the data shows like 2%. So you've moved markets, yeah. you've moved from being, you know, the representation of one market to another. How's that been like for you to, to kind of recreate yourself because you've moved into a new family on the news? And I've seen them give you that, that opportunity to share the afterthoughts and the, the clip of how you did reach out to the caller. And so what was that like for you to transition from one area to another where it's even a less Asian dense population and being a reliable source? Well, you know, it's really interesting. So I grew up in Missouri. I did not grow up in St. Louis. I grew up on the Kansas City side. And there was a reason that I wanted to always leave Missouri, you know, and I don't mean that as a dig on Missouri. Like, I, I just don't. It's my, my family's here. My friends are here. I mean, a lot of my childhood friends and things like that. But, but like, I, I endured a lot of racism as a kid, even though I was a pretty, a pretty happy kid. But there was just a different way of thinking that I thought, like, I, I want to get out. I want to go to the coast. You know, I want to, like, get out into a big city. There were two places that really did something for me. Madison, Wisconsin, because the majority minority is Asian. And then also um, Seattle, Washington, because of the Asian population. And not only that, but like everyone, just the vibes of the city, you know, it's just kind of like everyone's living that DEI lifestyle. You know, they want really equity across the board and you're going to work for Amazon or Microsoft or wherever. Those companies have to make global decisions. They have to be on the right side of immigration or they have to be on the right side of equity. And, um, you know, and those businesses have also struggled, you know, getting to a certain point. I really felt empowered as an Asian American woman in a newsroom because there, that was the first time that I had worked in a market where there were several Asian people in the newsroom. And not only just like worker bees, but managers, main anchors, like Lori Matsukawa, Mimi Jung, Alyssa Han, like people who were just like totally kicking ass like in the journalism space and ready to lift you up like as soon as I got there it was like you're going to be on the AJA board we're going to get you in contact here like it was just such an such a really collaborative encouraging space and it felt powerful like it felt for the first time in my life like I was like a full human like it was like I could be seen or I could not be seen, you know, whereas in Missouri, I'm going to be seen, <laughs> you know, ah, and, see. and sometimes that's good. Sometimes that's good, you know, but, but also, I also realized being in a place like Seattle, that it really goes to show you that we are not a monarch. So Alyssa Han, for example, I remember one time she came up to me and she's Korean and she was like, Hey, can you translate this? And I was like, what? Cause I know a little bit of Korean, you know? And she was like, I don't speak Korean. And so that kind of like took the air out of the, am I Asian enough? Mm. You know, there were so many Asian women friends that I had who just were, we were all learning, you know, and it was like, Alyssa grew up in the Bay area with a great Korean family, you know, and so she, but she doesn't speak Korean. And so, and here I am, you know, being raised in Missouri, you know, trying to get like every bit of culture that I can and knew it and knew a little bit of Korean to where I could maybe help her out, you know, translating. So um, so we all have different experiences, and I felt like Seattle really taught me that. To come back home to Missouri was just a transition. Like, we were really looking forward to it because all my closest family members are here. So, like, all the most important people in my life are in Missouri. The pandemic happened, and the show that I was anchoring was put on hiatus, so my job description changed. My daycare closed indefinitely. We were going to Shoreline Community College, the, the child care center there. It closed indefinitely and my son was one at the time and then my mom died suddenly like she had just like gone on for like a, a shoulder surgery and then 30 days later she was 
she was gone. So my dad, like here in Missouri, was sending me mail in Seattle. And like every now and then it would get lost. Like just, it would take like a week, you know, it would take a week and a half or not show up at all. And I was, uh, I took over his bills. Like there were just a lot of things that I was doing to help him because my mom did all that stuff. It just felt really inequitable. It felt really inequitable inequitable to get up at two o'clock in the morning to do the morning show, get done at like 10 a.m. and then take care of my one-year-old from 10 a.m. to basically like 9 p.m. Thank God he was like one, so he was still napping. Because <laughs> now, right. if, if that was the case, like right. he's not napping. So we were like ready to leave logistically. But like in my heart, you know, Seattle was like a very special place because we gave, you know, we we did IVF. So like, you know, it was finally like, that's where it worked for us, you know. So Seattle brought us so much joy. Coming back to Missouri, I knew that it would be a transition. It was definitely hard to be back in my home state and not have my mom here, you know, to like go so to her sorry house about your loss. Cancer. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah. You know, it's just, you know, your parents are going to die one day, but it's just, never ready for it no you're never ready for it and I think like um if you're lucky right like no one loves you quite like your mom like my mom was everything and my mom like I could call her and be like this is what happened to me and my mom would be like you know ready to throw down or something you know she would Aww. she would 100% accept everything that I said and then I realized you know um you know she's gone so it's like it's different like when you talk about something that happened to you that hurt you like a racist yeah. thing or a or a gender thing or something, you know, my mom was always like ready to kick somebody's ass, <laughs> you know, and, and I don't have that person in my life. Yeah. I mean, my husband is that person, but he's not my mom yeah. because he asks questions. My mom never asked questions, <laughs> you know, so, uh, um, so it was hard to come back for that just because I miss her. And also because I now don't have any, I mean, I do have, actually, there are some Asian people in St. Louis that I, that I know and that I like, you have to really seek those things out. And so mm -hmm. that's the difference, you know, where, where everyone was just around me in Seattle, um, now I have to look at that. And I will say my school district, I picked this school district because it's 16% Asian, which I was like, well, that's like shoreline, you know? <laughs> I mean, yeah. when I was looking at school districts, but it's still a pretty different mix than what I was, pretty different mix now than what it was when I was in Seattle. I love hearing how your mom was mama bear and <laughs> how um, she would have probably had some words about the scholar yeah. um, and I've, I've looked into your adoption journey and how beautiful your your mom handled that because there was a clip from her on YouTube was just you could just feel her heart bleeding um, when you were going to meet your biological mom so what what do you think is the most the biggest takeaway from her as being allowing you to explore your Asian-ness and your Korean-ness right your mom's Caucasian and mm -hmm. how has she shaped you to not to be able to speak Korean for you to to just be you a whole you how does she how does she do that for you gosh you know what I think really my mom was so much more progressive I don't know if she would call herself progressive right but like she just let me lead she would always try to steer me and encourage me but like she always let me lead and maybe that's like sometimes my husband and I get into like these things where it's like you need to tell your you know our son to do this and I'm like no, that's not, he's leading us this way, you know, oh, um, even at three, you know, I'm sure you guys know that. So it's interesting because when I went to my mom and I said, I want to go to Korean heritage camp, like I had gotten these, um, mailer brochures and stuff. Camp. Yeah. Um, for like, for, ado for adoptee, my mom was like, okay, sounds like, that sounds great. 
but she had like planted the seed because as a kid, like we would go to like Korean days, you know, or like something like that. She would plant seeds, but she would always let me leave. And um, not to say that kids always get it right, but I think she just was like, it's important for me that you're happy, that your that your mental health is good, and I'll help support you in any way. It doesn't mean that she wasn't scared. You know, like when I went to Korea, we were not in 90, the first time I went to Korea was in 98, and she did not, none of us planned for me to meet my birth family. That actually just happened on the fly. And so my dad had a really hard time with it. He was like, I wasn't ready for this. This is scary to me. Mm. Um, you know, I'm still your dad. Like it got like real, you know, <laughs> um, heavy. And then my mom was like, you know, I wish I could be there for you. I wish I could support you. You know, so it's just maybe that's a, a guy girl thing too, yeah. or a mom dad thing. It was, it was, there were some hard moments too, for sure. But I don't know. My mom was just really gritty and fun and I just miss her so much. You know, it's really nice that I had a mom like Well, you're a mom now to a three-year-old little boy (laughs) who's so fun and adorable. And he must notice that mama is a little busier now. What have you shared (laughs) with him about what's happening for you in this last month? It sounds terrible. I haven't shared anything with him. I mean, we get, you know, because he's still into like, when he comes home, he wants to watch Tom Train or Gigantosaurus, you know? So he knows I'm really busy, um, but I try to cut it off when he gets home. So from like five to eight, it's just mom and JJ time. Mm-hmm. And um, and then we go to bed, you know, I put him down or whatever, and then I go back to work. But the whole reason for the foundation is him. Mm. So, you know, like I'm hoping that he will, you know, grow up more confident and and then you know if sounds silly i hope he's proud of me like i hope that one day he like grows up and he goes my mom really tried hard for me you know so <laughs> that's not silly at all i mean i think that's all at the end of the day we we want our children to be able to hang their hat on something that we taught them and i mean ladies right yeah. you in this position where you are where you have a lot of attention as it really created this movement and i i want to thank you for holding that space and you've done it with so much grace you you haven't actually identified the caller i think a lot of people would have chosen to do that you've reached out to her you actually even want to meet her face to face which i think is really beautiful when she's up for it and so the the part of grace and i know that you had a a incident at a and you, you didn't even name the store where you were falling around <laughs> oh, and you were gosh. harassed about maybe shoplifting and, and stuff but um where does that grace come from is that another mama bear teaching well some of it is like this is not going to be a great answer. Sometimes I think it's because I have made myself small for so long mm. that I'm afraid that if I come out full mama bear B, mm. that maybe people will not will not really hear that either. I mean, I think you do have to build some bridges. And just in my experience with relationships in general, people always tend to listen more when you come from your inner self. Like, that hurt me. And this is why that hurt me. Yeah. Rather than being like, you did this to me. I mean, don't get me wrong. I do that too. You did this. You know? <laughs> and I do really, I've, ha- I've struggled with so much, I think, in my life with being a woman first, you know, being an Asian woman. Well, probably being an Asian woman. You know, like how do you get what you want when so many people kind of define who you are for you? Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's the same thing like trying to go into your boss's office and ask for a raise you know a lot of women in general have a hard time doing that or like knowing your self-worth or your self-value mm-hmm. and and then making other people 
people believe into it. I mean, there is a thing where it's like, don't get me wrong, I go home and I cuss and I swear and I'm like, I'm gonna find that lady, you know? <laughs> but then yeah. you, but then you have to like come back and go, okay, how do we make, how do I really approach this? Because where is the real, where, what is the root of all the feelings? And the root is hurt, you know? So that's how I, that's how I try to approach things. I don't think I have a lot of grace. You know, I don't think that ever anyone has really ever said that I have a lot of grace. But I do think that also being in the public space, being in broadcasting for 20 years, I've had to, in so many ways, be graceful, even though I'm not a graceful person, because of the minority status that I have. I mean, being in the minority, you know, I when I worked in one place, woman called, I remember she was terrible. I had done like a Memorial Day ceremony and just a live shot. I was like a 25 year old reporter and she called in. She's like, get that damn jab off TV. Wow. I mean, it was like, you know, because my producer put her on speaker. And um, she was like, that is so disrespectful. And, you know, my producer gave her an earful, but at the same time, you know, he had to do it respectfully. And and then I had to still go back out there, you know? But I always was scared because I was afraid that if too many people called like that or if the wrong person heard it, then I would lose my job. Hmm. There were a lot of times when someone would say, oh, Michelle, we can't hire you. We already have an Asian anchor. Like, really? Oh yeah. That is bullshit. Sure. Wow. It is total bullshit. Wow. But that's a if you notice, if you look around in your you know, in your local TV station, tell me who has two Asian anchors. It's not really that many. And they're not on the same shift. Even in Seattle, that was the first time I had anchored with another Asian. I anchored with Mimi Jung, but it wasn't like a permanent thing. We just mm-hmm. would fill in together. And I anchored with Lori Matsukawa before. Even in Seattle, you didn't have two Asian people anchoring mm-hmm. the show together. You always see white people, two two white people, two yeah. black people. Um, you know, so and depending on what market, maybe you know, I, it's just it's it's really interesting to me. Um, but people used to say, well, um, you know, it, it would just be confusing to the viewer if we had to. confusing. Jane, I feel like yeah. Jane wants to say something. Jane has a background <laughs> yeah. as a journalist as well. Jane, I I feel like you're like yes, yeah, you find that to be true. I just relate so closely to Michelle's experience. And when I was a young journalist starting out applying to jobs, I, you know, it was the extra labor of going to every station's website before I applied to see who's on there on talent and see if I had a chance. Yeah. So I don't think I processed a lot of that experience until I left the business, because when you're in it, you're just kind of like, this is the reality that I'm dealt with and I'm going to survive and do my best in this environment. So you don't think of it as it's an extra challenge or it's an extra step for me because I'm a minority, you know, an Asian American woman. And even when I joined um, the Asian American Journalists Association, I had such a small awareness of, of what part, like, you know, for me, I was like, why should I join this? Like, what would be the benefit mm-hmm. of it? would be like to lean into my Asian-ness more, but like, how would that serve me in the workplace when they don't want to see that, right? So I was very confused, I think, in the early years. But um, yeah, Michelle, I just, I relate so closely to all of those experiences. I've had people come up to me and say, you're foreign, but you you speak English so perfectly. And I looked at my husband and I saw the TV and said, oh my gosh, she's foreign. 
right in front of my general manager and news director who were um, both white and just appalled and, and like apologizing. But I was embarrassed for their embarrassment. You know, I'm like, don't, you know, it's all the time. Like, you know, what markets were you in? So I worked in Detroit at um, WXYZ. Oh, okay. Channel 7. Yep. Before that, I was at in Flint. Um, and then before that, my first job was in Elmira, New York. So it was a minority. And, no. So we moved um, almost three years ago now, but I'm from Los Angeles originally. Like we were in Michigan, like Detroit, Ann Arbor area for like eight years before then. I think when I heard the voicemail from you, um, it just, you know, it just the virality of it. The first reaction was like, are you, are you fucking kidding me? You know, and then the second reaction is like, of course. The third reaction is it's twenty twenty two, and so you know it, it saddens me to hear that this, from what you're both saying, on um, diminishing it is, and it it saddens me even more. Just as an Asian woman, it's like my part, like what, how have I like not helped out getting more Asian voices out there? What what are we doing now moving forward to amplify our voices in the media and the news that? Um, this is where I feel like this very Asian movement is on time. They're, they're, like I grew up watching Connie Chung, and that's the only reference that I had, and that was it. And so I feel like I, I can relate in my own in way as a pharmacist. Um, I was a manager, and um, I'm 47. So if you think I, you know, how would I look at as a 25-year-old, right? So I had to cake on the makeup and dress a certain way in order to have that respect. And it's it's unfortunate that that has to happen where we almost have to play a part or I feel like we have to hold ourselves a different way or hold our words a different way. So so Michelle, back to you with the next steps for you. How, how do you want to take this energy and this attention in a way that fulfills your dream? I know you said that earlier. And when you see a dream, I'm like, ooh, that's what I love to yeah. talk about. So how would you like to, to fill, fulfill your dream this way? Well, it's really interesting that you say the time is now because I feel like so many people feel that, right? Yeah. And even like the responses that I've heard from people a lot, I mean, just the ones that really touched me were like transracial adoptees or families with mixed children or mixed people themselves, you know, people with mixed hair themselves or people in the LGBTQ community, moms. I mean, there were just so many people. And in great solidarity um, posts, my favorite hashtags were openly black and very Jewish um, <laughs> because the time really is now. There's so much um, hate and you know violence going on, especially in the API community. And we're still getting not enough media coverage, first of all. Um, law enforcement agencies are still not collecting good data or sometimes not even taking, um, I think, the right look at an investigation like Atlanta, for example. How is that not considered a hate crime? And then also we are more than this monolith that people think that we are. You know, we are so much more than, you know, tiger moms and uh, this model minority myth and all these things. Like we are creative. We're not just in the medical space. You know, we are writers. We are, um, we have so many different experiences. And, you know, whether it's like, I don't know if you've seen Lisa Ling's takeout show on HBO Max. It's amazing. But like episode one talks about how people from the Philippines came over in Louisiana like hundreds of years ago. I mean, you know, like, but you know what I'm saying? It's like this idea of we've been here. For God's sakes, we have been here. So figure out a way to put that into American culture because um, we're seeing, for instance, like Illinois, 
New Jersey, what is the other state that I'm thinking of? Um, and, you know, make it mandatory that API history is incorporated into school. Well, that's one way to, you know, I had students over the weekend tell me, we try to give a reading list to our schools because there's like a little, there's a group here and they all go to different schools. We tried to actively give our school di school districts a reading list of whether it was like API authors or literature and they didn't respond. Like none of the school districts responded. So it's like, none. 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 So if we can, you know, and, and, and even being in Seattle, I mean, people were getting beaten, you know, and people were getting hurt or attacked in Seattle, like usually the outskirts, you know, Marysville had like this whole Confederate flag parade or something. So it's not, so it's everywhere. I mean, there's racism everywhere, but we are everywhere. So our stories have to be normalized, amplified, celebrated. And, you know, if I see something that I, I, I don't know if it's like having a collective where we curate our own content, you know, where we amplify each other's messages. So we know where we, maybe we have like, um, this person does this in this space, this, these people do this in this space, let's amplify their messages. I can't find a single book that reflects my life, you know, that mm -hmm. reflects my son's life where are those creators or maybe i should create my own stuff so i just have like just sounded i just had like a lot of words on <laughs> um, i'm here for it yeah but i feel like you know the real thing is like amplifying our stories normalizing them celebrating who we are celebrating how we exist you know i don't we don't need to out asian each other or say oh, i'm only half this and half this so i really never felt like i could participate and I said, I've told people, I don't think we should be dictating our Asianness on a percentage. Like, you know, we need to be able to celebrate who we are as we are and, um, and get our voices, you know, get real loud so that everyone knows that we're not only not going anywhere, but we've also been here for many years, you know. Um, St. Louis is a really good example because when you were talking about the percentages, you know, some people in St. Louis, and it's actually been said like on hot mics in, in alderman board meetings or you know at the board of aldermen meetings in st louis one alderman said to another alderman well st louis is just a black and white city everybody knows that wow but we had in st louis and this is just one example we had a chinatown in 1860 that lasted until 1960 so it was a hundred years old it was blighted and raised so that it could create bush stadium the, one of the first bush stadiums which is a baseball stadium so don't tell us we haven't been here. Don't yeah. tell us that we don't have history. If you go around the city and you ask, hey, do you know anything about Hop Valley? Because that's what the Chinatown was called. A lot of people will say no. Wow. So that's a problem that people don't even know history in their own backyard. And then that perpetuates this like, well, this that we are perpetually foreign. You know, that we don't have a place in our collective cities, whether it's Detroit or St. Louis. And we do, we really do. So anyway, so I just think you know, we've got to just un well un uncover history, share history, amplify our story. With your position now, um, I did see a, a segment where you shared how you had that 25 second bit about New Year's and what people ate. And you asked mm -hmm. your producer, hey, can I mention this? For me as an outsider, I, I was surprised that, you know, asking that for permission, do you find that that is a common thing to where if you had to ask permission to say anything anecdotally as far as your background or anything, you know, I didn't know that that was something that had to be like okayed. I apologize for my, my naivety with this, with oh, what no. that happens. 
Well, Jane probably knows too. I mean, like I usually don't ask for permission to ad lib. It was really just like, I didn't want them to advance to the next video. <laughs> oh, okay. So, you know, so I was like, Hey, can I say this? Um, because I just wanted to have that space. I wasn't really afraid that she was going to say no. Okay, I, gotcha. I guess I never, I never thought of it from that perspective, how people would have seen that. So yeah, it was really just for like time, but also to just point out there was a little bit of like me pointing out, like, you know, you didn't include this, you know, mm. but I didn't want to be snarky about it because she's a young producer and she'd probably rip the copy from, you know, somewhere else because, you know, we're an affiliate. So it's like you just rip, rip it off from NBC or news channel or whatever. So, yes. For um, sure. But you do sometimes have to be, have to have permission to just do certain things for sure. I had a quick question about that. Did you post that segment before the voicemail thing had happened? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Such an interesting turn of events. Yeah. So I was like, uh, so that whole, you know, it was just a reader. It was a like reader with a graphic. It was like a non-story story. And immediately I had had two responses, one on Twitter, one on Facebook. And the Twitter one was like, hey, thanks for saying that because you see it. And then another one was like, hey, my, I'm glad that you said that because my wife was born in Korea and our daughter is making that suit for the very first time. And that's the thing. I even said like dumpling soup. I didn't even say like duck soup or mandu or like rice cake soup. You know, yeah. I just said dumpling. So, you know, technically if I would have said, you know, duck soup, I'm sure like someone's mind would have just, you know, uh, exploded. But I really had watered that down. I thought like in this 20 seconds where I thought no one was watching, someone, two people, it impacted in a positive way. Two for two. I was like, oh yeah. my God, yeah. I was like, oh, <laughs> this 20 second story got like two <laughs> comments. I was like, this is a win. So I posted that segment on Instagram and I just said, you know, who gets to decide who's a, the, the default American? Because if you know, That's you it. know, yeah. and just posted that. So I was like on a high, and then that's when I got the voice. So I was like, oh, so I don't think she was actually even watching my social media feeds or anything. I just think it was just the coincidence of the time. I, and I was like, yeah, I'll proud of myself. And then I was like, oh, no. Do you think she caught wind of the social media virality of it? I know you reached out to her. So what do you think she knows? Um, I don't know. Because she must, she must have. Because she did reach out to me after the commentary. And I remember during the commentary, I had said, you know, it's gone viral and people, you know, have responded. So she knows, but that was like before Ellen, you know, that was before a uh -huh. lot of things. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how much she knows. I'm, I'm kind of afraid to open that gate. Like I like being able to be ambiguous and having an open date on when we'll meet. And, you know, I really will do that. But at the same time, I kind of want to move on right. without her, you know, because it's like when she apologized, I didn't want to vindicate her because there were so many things in our conversation that should remain private, but also kind of show that like race and bigotry and discrimination come from really complex places. You know, we all have different experiences and, you know, I don't know what hurt her in the past or anything like that. And I'm not, I'm not trying to like make an excuse for racism. I'm just saying it's complicated. It's complicated. And so, yeah. yeah. So we're not going to like solve everything in one conversation. And so I'm not a perfect person either. And I don't mean that like I'm calling people and being racist. I'm just saying there are lots of just in the DEI space that I've, you know, gone through training or, you know, it's not like if you'll offend, it's when you'll offend somebody because we only live in our space, right? So we always want to come towards someone else with empathy and, and, and understanding and curiosity, but sometimes you might offend them. So when you do that, how do you respond? Like that's the human part of it. You know, if you 
are always, you can't always learn if you're always right. You know, I definitely want to have a heart for people because I want people to have a heart for me. And um, mm. I feel like he might know that it's viral, <laughs> but I don't know how, I don't know how much, and I don't know if I really want to know because I'm, I don't want her so scared to go out in public. I still actually don't know her name. I asked her for her name several times and she wouldn't say it. Oh, okay. interesting. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's interesting. And I mean, just even her first name, I was like, can I just know who I'm talking to? And she's like, oh, okay. I did so, see that um, you said, I don't know her name. And I thought that was that on purpose that she didn't leave the name now, but you have the number associated to contact her, mm-hmm. right? Yes, but the name, so this is what's really interesting. So this, her, the name, the name that came in on the voicemail was Stuart. So like, I mean, her, like, I don't think her first name is Stuart. It could be. <laughs> like, I don't know whose phone you're on, but I'm just going to call it back. <laughs> the, the audacity of it all, you know what I mean? Like, let's say you were in a crowd and she and you said what you said, which is nothing, benign banter. And for her to say it in like, oh, that's so Korean of her or it's too Asian of her. But the fact to sit with it, find the number to call you to then leave the message, to then feel like there's something that's going to be. People do things because they want a reaction. So what was her, what's her MO? Like, what was her intention that you would be fired, that this conversation would end? And so that to me was where I feel like it was really triggering for the lack of a better word, but just very a sad commentary of where we are. I love hearing it in, in these ladies know because they, they're in my community. I switch gears. I I love talking about the next version of you, dreams, you know, impossibilities, like possibilities. Like what would blow your own mind for this foundation? What would blow your own mind as far as like from a year? Like let's paint that picture. How can we really support you on this? Well, first of all, I'm hoping to find some funding. Yes. <laughs> Aside from that, you know, really what I would love. And I'm so I know I sound like really overly excited when I'm like, and this, and this, and this, and this, and this, and this. But it would really be nice to be to be a hub where we can, where it's like if you want to find content, media, or you want to support local, you know, it'd be nice to have a hub. Like I think about, for example, all the journalists right now, they are so powerful in their communities in the sense that they can tell stories, you know, like they can go out and, and do great things. But like if someone's in Springfield, Illinois, how does their story resonate with someone in Seattle, Washington? And can we amplify as journalists, amplify those stories that make everyone so much more aware of what's happening? For instance, the the story that I was thinking of is followed the story about Lowe's, the hardware store in Springfield, Illinois, where this woman was being harassed by another And he gaslit her and turned that one. I think we need to keep amplifying those stories for one. You know, like, can we be a place where you get very Asian news? Can we be a place where you find very Asian book for your kid? Can we be a place where you get very Asian merchandise that supports very Asian artists? Can we focus Mm. on very Asian bloggers? You know, those are things that I would really like to kind of curate. That would be the dream. But like right now, I'm just like, can I figure out my bylaws? (laughs) (laughs) Can I figure out a a board, an advisory board? Well, I think the good news is I think those do exist, but having them under a hub, there's Asian founded, which I just found that where she amplifies, you know, Asian founders in, in business. We have someone like Jane here who has taken over TikTok for her content. So having that place as a hub, as a ecosystem, I think would be really powerful. I volunteering to help you out in any way I could, I could do that with them with bringing people together so that that information is there without it being apologetic about what we're trying to do here. We're just trying to celebrate and, and have a platform really where everybody can go to and support each other. And I think another thing too is really important to me is actionable change. So I always have to teeter in the line of like being a journalist you know, and where I stand. But I, I do feel like there's nothing wrong with saying, A, guy history needs to be taught in schools. 
like how is that not like a wrong that needs to be righted you know yeah. um how how is it the kids don't know about the internment i mean at the very least you know it's just to me there's so many things that we don't know about our own history because we have decided that american asian american history is not american history and so um i think that or like getting materials in schools also helping I, the student group that i was in uh over the weekend one person reached out and said that they did a survey of all their friends and like something like eight out of ten of them had been struggling with mental health during the pandemic and like a handful of them had actual plans um, to end their lives and so so many kids are struggling with mental health not getting support from their parents and not getting support in their schools so i mean there are real big issues on top of on top of the ones that we always see in the headlines as well simple change is really important to me i just need to figure out what that actionable change is but i definitely think education is the component you talked about books and even the very asian hashtag has made its way to bookstores where they put the collection of books so there's small progress i know for me um i live in los angeles and specifically in palos verdes and when the atlanta shooting happened i emailed both principals of my kids' schools to say, are you going to talk about this? Do we have a committee? And so I think those are the things that, as a mom, right, I think we want better for our kids. We want better for everybody. We want to be able to have a voice in a way that could be the first curriculum in school. What do you ladies think that could be the first step as well as just giving Michelle some feedback with the rise and the ability for us to have this foundation where it really puts a lot of commitment and solidarity together? Love it. We can just make it easier for people too. You know, this is how we stand on this. This is what you need to take to your schools. The students that I had talked to over the weekend, the ones in New Jersey. I mean, they're the ones who put together and and went to the state legislature. I mean, they're young. They're in high school, you know, changing the world. And there's a lot to be learned from those students. And so, you know, the Missouri students in our group were like taking note because we do, because there are kids who want curriculum in their own schools. They want to see that reflection. So I think, you know, once it's been done somewhere, then we can all amplify it and make our lives easier. The easiest, easiest situation is the best, <laughs> you know, because we're all so busy dealing with our own things and some of us have day jobs, some of us are creative on the side. I mean, there's just not a lot of room in many ways, just the bandwidth, you know? So trying to create ways to make easier for people so that they can actually make change in their communities is a Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Ruchi has a question. How do you recommend dealing with any backlash you might get when you do speak up as an Asian woman, for example, advocating for a raise or inequities in a workplace? How do I deal with the back- backlash? you might get when you speak up as an Asian woman, for example, asking for a raise or inequities. How do you deal with that? You know, it's more internalized, I think, than anything, because like, I'm always like, do I deserve this? Am I going to look like a stereotypical, you know, B? Am I going to look, am I going to look aggressive? Like all these things. I internalize all that. Then I look at like my son and my husband and I go, well, I've got to do it. No no one's going to, no one's going to do that for me, but me. I definitely think that I, I fight with it. But then I push myself because I know that I'm worthy. Now, I don't always get it. And I sometimes dance around and really, I'm not as direct as I need to be. You know, in those moments, to me, I will write stuff down. I will make spreadsheets. I'll say these were actionable things that happened this year that I did. And so this is why I think I deserve more. But I'm always, also another thing, I'm always ready to escape. Whenever I don't think that something is right for me, I'm looking like a year out in advance because we signed like three-year contracts. So like a year out, I'm looking at like, okay, where can I go next? Granted, I'm in St. Louis um, indefinitely. So, but I'm always like, what's my next thing if they say no? Like I'm always prepared to walk Mm. um, because I feel like if you're not, sometimes, you know, even if you stay somewhere and you love it, 
like they're giving like flat raises which i'm like that's not a raise if it's like what or they're giving a one percent raise you know cost of living is way more than that so you're actually losing money every year by staying you know and sometimes in the same position you know it's a it's not easy to ask for more but i always have to pet myself up like no one's gonna ask no one's gonna save you yeah you gotta do it for you and if i want my son to you know get x y and z then i'm gonna have to show him that i believe in myself enough to ask but i struggle with it 100 (laughs) percent. i'm always struggling with that I um I have a, a little bit of an exercise with you if you'll entertain it. I love to do this. It's called the airplane exercise. And what happens is an uh, airport exercise. And so pretend you and I, five years from now, just pass each other at the airport and everything you wanted in your life has come to fruition. Everything, personal life, professional life. And we're going to pretend we're meeting up in five years. I'm just going to poke around and I'm going to see where your dreams are and where they land. Are you ready for that? Okay. <laughs> okay. Oh my God, Michelle, it's so good to see you. Where are you headed right now? Where are you off to? Uh, oh my gosh. Okay, I am headed to Seattle. <laughs> You're going to Seattle. No no wrong answers here. You're headed to Seattle. Oh my, I just walked by the newsstand. Oh my God. Can, will you sign my book? Um, was that something that you thought about writing or how did that yes. come to be? <laughs> was that a book? Wait, or was that a magazine cover that you were on? I, I, was, I just walked by so no, fast. No, it was, it's my book. Oh, it's, it's your book. book. Okay. Because I've always been thinking about writing a book, especially about the, you know, know about my life growing up and being a transracial adoptee and just being like the very Asian thing so I only came to was that your first book or your second I'm so sorry yeah, in the last five first. years your first, first book first. okay right yeah on. I, I needed the space because of my kid <laughs> yeah. he was now eight and where are you headed how's your team right now are you team did you leave the news like where are you at with your foundation oh my gosh well the foundation is doing great and we just had a really nice commitment financially financial you can say it how much did you raise girl you can say it um well we raised five million this year which is awesome so, so i think that that money is going to go to some really great causes plus we are going to start help racial adoptees go back to their birth country if they want and we're just doing a few more programs with kids so it's just it's been really that's amazing are you still doing the news um i'm freelancing okay i'm doing some freelance work <laughs> Oh my gosh. Freelancing? Yeah, that's amazing. You on the stage the last five years, like who was that person that you were like, there's no way I'm ever going to be able to be in collaboration with? Who was it that you were just, uh? Um, I don't know. I'm like, who do I want to be in collaboration? You know what? Okay, I am not ready for this exercise. (laughs) That's okay. This is future pacing. We call this future pacing. Great. Okay. So yeah. It's yeah. Uncomfortable, but it's also it forces like, you. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know what? I thought I know you were, you had thought about maybe having your own TV show. Did that ever happen? We actually signed um, like a six series with Netflix, so that's gonna come out. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. Wait, is this real or is this projecting? Uh, he's projecting. Okay, cool. With Netflix. Awesome. What is that about? It's about history, uncovered history in the United States. A lot of people just don't know what's going on. And also, we're going to do another one where we really follow transracial adoptees and their birth search. Are you the main voice or are you the executive producer? Or what does that look like? I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm just the executive producer. There are a lot of other people who I think we should bring into it. How did you even get started with that? Uh, I don't know. It was actually always a passion project of mine. And like we did a couple of stories like in news, but those stories just never get old. And now adoptees are getting to the point where their biological parents are kind of at the end of their lives. So we really want to correct and bring these reunions together for people because it's kind of like a life goal for a lot of them. You know, five years ago, it felt like you were just 
you know, trying to just get through this big haze. How has life been for you at home? How's the husband? How's, how's life? Did you guys move in the last five years? We moved into a bigger house. <laughs> what do you see yeah. when you look out your window nowadays? Yeah. I just see lots of trees. It's mm. amazing. And um, my kiddo's doing really well. He's adjusted into his school and he's got lots of friends and I'm just hoping that we're, you know, we're raising him as a citizen in the world. That's amazing. Well, it's so good. To, I know you got to catch your plane and your team is behind you. How many how many people are on your team now? This is just crazy. Well, right now, well we're still pretty small. We okay. only have about 20 people. So. 20 people in five years. That's incredible. That's incredible. Well, it is so good to see you. I know. Um, were you just with Oprah the other weekend? Did I see that right? Well, yeah, it was Oprah and Gail. Like, we all had a little hug <laughs> together. And Gail, of course. Oh, that's awesome. Well, I can't think of a better way to um, to end this interview. Thank you so much. Uh, thank oh you for gosh. holding space. Thank you for sharing your time. You know, time is not renewable, so I completely value this conversation. But we we will be supporting you every step of the way. I know we. I will send you a check from the donations that we've raised over here with Avenue Mama, and I look forward to just seeing how this plays out and you having that that voice, that microphone and to really amplify this. There's there's just so much that can be done. And so with Lunar New Year tomorrow, which is something my Vietnamese family celebrates, this is a very timely conversation. And just thank you so much, Michelle. Thank you for having me. I, I'm really humbled and I'm, I'm just grateful. Thank you very much. Oh my gosh, the pleasure is, <laughs> you're humbled. My gosh, yeah, I, I was very much like, there's no way she's gonna say yes. And I was like, what? <laughs> she said, yes. I was like, oh my gosh. So I hope you get to really spread your message and your um, your passion. And um, I, I think that there's just, it's so overly due for more conversations and just calling out racism when it is. And like, how can we do better? Especially in the schools, especially in media and everything. Well, I hope I didn't sound too, you know, out there because I do have like a lot of ideas that I need to wrangle and also just you know focus on the logistics but another side note I want to know how to support everyone in this zoom you know because I just want to I just want us to all support each other and lift each other up and I'm in 15 minutes I might be just like out of here you know so it's like I really want to be able to to still do the things that I believe in and I really think that we should all be lifting each other up and we have this ask for it call it make that call to action I know you're like if you want to dive into curriculum at schools like where does that look like just elementary school junior high school and high school like get that so you're top of mind for that right like you're doing great you're doing absolutely great and I think it's just asking for that help receiving help asking for help and just like hey does any maybe what you're kind of looking for is already exists in a very micro level but then boom you could really collaborate with these folks and really just grow it you know what I mean? But I mean you. How do I support you? How do I support, you know, how do I support you guys? <laughs> Let me know what to do. I mean, you, you all have, like, bigger followings than I do. I just, just tell me how I can help. <laughs> I, I know. I think I'll, I'll, I'll turn it to folks to say how. I, I think for me in the space that I'm in, in the entrepreneurial, and especially the coaching space, there really isn't a lot of Asian representation. When I was in medicine, I'd go to conference, and of course, everybody around me looks like me. But when I go to these other conferences or when I do anything, it is very difficult. And I think the difficulty is like, um, Sari, Kara, and Ruchi are my students from a, a program that I coached in a startup. And there was a time, I will tell you, there was a time during the 10 weeks we were together that um, the social injustice, George Floyd, the Korean Atlanta shooting, all came up while these students are going through starting their business. And I had to, 
you know, have a word with the CEO of this program, a startup, a venture capitalist, a white woman in her 30s. And I said, what are we doing about our students of color? Because there's no way in hell that they could be taking this curriculum, launching their business, being on social, because I know for me, I had a launch, but there was no way I was going to, I was depleted. I had pepper spray for the first time in my life because I was worried about just going existing. And so I think there's a lot of conversation to answer your question about really like, what is it like to be a woman of color in any kind of environment? Because it is, um, I think that, that when, especially we're in places of where we're marginalized, right? So I don't know if that answers your question, but it's just really just sharing the, as much as we can and supporting each other. I don't know, Megan, Jane, Sari. Um, I can add. So hi, thank you so much, Annie and Michelle. Um, it was just great to hear the exchange of energy. <laughs> um, but I, so um, in that program that Annie mentioned, I became a mentor in the next session. And one of my mentees from this last round, she's very passionate about creating her own organization for adoptees and oh, taking no. them on trips. And um, I was just thinking I could connect you guys. I don't know where she's at in the process. I've done some brainstorming with her. Um, I love creative brainstorming, so I was happy to help her. And I just, you know, as soon as I heard you say that, I thought that there's power in connecting people. So I'd be happy to do that if you'd be open to it. Oh, I would love that. I would love that. That'd okay, great. great. Thank you, Sari. Thank you. Um, I just want to say, like, thank you for inviting me to, like, just be here i think it's amazing and i think michelle like the way you just handle that phone call i would have been like living like what <laughs> what did you say keep your cream <laughs> i was living as well <laughs> so i only started like going back to making things for asians only just like a few years ago when i first started like making the humble dresses and the dolls specifically for asians even some of my asians friends said aren't you afraid like why are you making it so asian why not like I didn't have an Asian doll. I had a blonde hair Barbie doll. Like, and so it actually came out from a mom who was half white, half Korean, and she wanted a doll for her daughter who's three quarters, quarter white and three quarters. It's hard to do the math. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so she's the one that initially asked me. And so from that, I've had so many orders for people who adopted Asian kids to kids who are biracial, a lot of biracial. Um, and so I think just just being able to share that out there, then I don't know how to make a black doll appropriately. That's not my culture. My Asian friends asked me that question. I was like, I didn't know how to respond. I'm like, well, why not? You know, wh who else would I be making the dolls for? White people have plenty of dolls. <laughs> All the dolls out there are white. Yeah. So I think, yeah, just being able to do this, like, and I think I grew up like wanting to be more whitewashed than anything else. So it kind of like, I was surprised that I was doing this. So you're saying you're surprised that now you have a product line that is yeah. highlighting and celebrating the Asian culture. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think in two weeks, three weeks, there's going to be like a Korean American pop-up thing in Koreatown. And I think this is like the first time I've ever been part of like a Korean American one. Last year, there was an Asian one. And before that, any other like pop-up event, like for creatives, for um, artists and makers, it's always been like mixed. Had like mm -hmm. Hispanic ones, they've had African-American ones, but never Asian ones. So I think just to even see it and to be even part of like the Korean American one, I'm like, oh my God, you know, I'm in my forties and finally, after all these years, it's like happening and I'm really excited. I'm excited for you. You know, I think it's really interesting just in thinking, you know, we're in this generation where we were told to assimilate. Like my parents were actually yes. told to assimilate me, you know, and what's 
what does that mean? But that was like from adoption specialists, right? And now I think there is some sort of power in like getting older and just not giving a shit. You know, like it's yeah. like, wait a minute, no, I am. This is me. Like I'm tired of being small. Like I'm I'm a full grown ass woman. You know, like so there's a part of it where it's like, yeah, I want to embrace this, make be intentional about the decisions I make. And so I'm sorry that might not fit into this, you know, narrative of assimilation or whatever. I just think there are a lot of us in that age range who are just like, no, this is time. Look, we're going to take this, we're going to take this back and our kids are going to be better for it, you know? I mean, that's how I see things because I definitely feel like I've been, like all my circle of friends, like my, they want more for their kids and they want to, they don't want to be silent anymore or, or live up to these tropes and stereotypes, you know? So... The hashtag is doing that, though. It's a disarming way to do that, but also directs it back to people who are unapologetic about talking about yeah. about what we really need to work on, right? And thank you. I would I could sit here all day, but I don't know. Busy Can we do this again just for fun? I mean, yeah. I just really I would love to hear what everyone's doing, and I just I love meeting you guys. It's yes, like, absolutely. Yeah. You heard it yourself. Right? <laughs> We have I'm serious. I'm serious. Yes. Yeah. I feel like it's so inspirational just to see other strong, amazing women. Yes, we would. We could dream together and do so much with our voices. And I love Sarah. You're like hashtag very Jewish. Absolutely. <laughs> Kara, Kara has her mic off. Kara is a mom of four. She's in Canada. And so bless her heart, Kara. I know you're probably feeding baby. But yeah, so she's she's a great advocate as well. And and I think that it's um it's a beautiful it's a beautiful movement that's all i can say i think it's just there's a just a different tone with the hashtag stop apa hate which i use all the time but this for some reason feels lighter but also very like if you know you know you know (laughs) in that yeah well yeah because you know the last two years has been like please don't hurt us you know right Right. like well we're we're proud of who we are so you know it's it's a celebratory thing i think and i didn't create it you know i just part of it yeah no it it all works but it stems from a very like an incident that turned into what you called a gift right I think you said that on Ellen for that but um but thank you so much and we will do this again and um I hope I didn't sound too excited like like sometimes I'm like girl no you gotta like listen listen it is the more excited the more fire you bring to to life like please do not ever dim your excitability or your word vomiting or feeling your energy was amazing I loved it yeah yeah I love you guys you guys are like hype women I want to be your hype absolutely there's so much hype to go around we need each other. We absolutely, yeah. we freaking need each other. And um, thank I you, can't Michelle thank you. and Annie. This is just such a treat. Love starting my week this oh, way. Oh, I love it. And Jane, I want to catch up with you on all the news. For sure. Um, yeah, we'll find a time to catch up. Yeah, would love that. Yes, Jane, are you ever going to go back to the newsroom? Oh. <laughs> At this time, I don't think so. Yeah. Do you want to? Well, we'll talk about it. Yeah, we'll talk about it. And hi, Megan. I have one of her. Um, books for my daughter Ruby and she loves it. I'm gonna do like a, I'm trying to have like a bunch of like longer humble jackets for the pop-up in February so I'm gonna post it I'm like scatterbrained because I want to do so much but I also have to sleep so <laughs> I love it I would I think, ha- um, yeah. love to like share share it too so and let so, me know. Me too. Yeah. yeah so hopefully I'll have some made today. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah and <laughs> 
Just to orientate you, Michelle, meet Ruchi, who she is starting off her business and she wants to help uh, Asian women have the confidence to ask for higher negotiated salaries and raises. And so that's what we're working on for her business. And so, yeah, she's a powerhouse, Wharton MBA, like, like she's incredible. And what we really want is for her to channel that talent and getting Asian women paid. Yes. (laughs) Thank you both Michelle and Annie. This was amazing. And um, yeah, Michelle, what you were saying is just in terms of like uh, your feedback too, on like how to not internalize things and doing it for like, you know, thinking about your, is it your son or husband and doing it for them. That was all really, really helpful. And I want to help more women be able to do that as well. I always have to trick myself, you know, like, because if I make it about me, then I'm not going to do anything. But if I make it about other people, then it's like I can really find more courage, you know, so yeah. I'm sure everyone. Well, I'm holding you to that book. I'm going to check in on you. You don't know who <laughs> you met. So, you guys, you don't know who you met. So I'm the. comfortable, but it was <laughs> awesome. Like, I feel like I'm going to, that's just, that's going to stick with me. Yeah. It, I can't unsee people's dreams. You guys know that. Like when you. And meeting see- Oprah and Gail. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see it. kind of a joke, but yeah. <laughs> no, but it'll be there. I think, it, and I think what's really powerful when you said you didn't have a collaborator, I was like, people are going to be lining up to collaborate with you. There's, you know what, you're on that, you're on this journey for you to, to really bring them in, right? Like, yeah, I think it's amazing. Well, you still, no matter what happens to you, sometimes you just don't have that kind of ability to see that in yourself. Even if, you know, even if you've been thrust into something like this, you just don't have that. I got to work on it. I have some therapy to do. <laughs> but we all do, right? We all do. We all have things to work on. We, no one's perfect. You know, I apologize to my kids all the time, you know, uh, and I think that's that's beautiful. Knowing We're not here with a manual or anything. We're all going to fumble and, you know, I, I feel like, who are we to say that we can't do? We'll all figure this shit out. We are going to figure it out one step at a time and hold each other accountable, make mistakes, fail, and get up again. That's it. That's all you can do is get up again, try again. That's it. So, thank you, ladies. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, my gosh. What a treat. Yes. Have a great day, guys. And when um, I'll connect people on the email list to put your handles in where you can find each other, support each other. And then, yeah, we'll load this up. I, I'll talk to my myself to make this edit today. <laughs> All right. <laughs> thank you so much. All right, everyone. Have a good day. Take care. I hope you enjoyed that interview. And please reach out to Michelle and give her a follow. She's on Instagram at Michelle Lee, spelled L-I-T-V, as well as on Twitter. You can also support the Very Asian Foundation by giving them a follow at the Very Asian Foundation on Instagram as well as their website, very-asian.com. Thank you everybody that donated to the Very Asian Foundation as a guest to be part of this podcast interview. And we would love more eyes and ears on this podcast episode, so please type both Michelle Lee TV and myself at Avenue Mama. Take a screenshot, and if you love this episode, please rate and review this podcast so we can get into the more earbuds of Mama's Group are looking for community and connection. Take care, guys.